This is part of the Olivet Discourse. This is the teachings of Christ, especially Matthew chapter 24. Jesus says more in Matthew 24 about His coming again than anywhere else in the New Testament other than the book of Revelation. And part of that is Matthew chapter 25 where He's talking about our stewardship or our responsibility. Because one day, as those of us who have been saved and born again... We must, as the Bible says in several places in the New Testament, every one of us, the Bible says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Amen? That's what it says. Now, let me qualify that briefly before we read part of Matthew's Gospel. When we talk about appearing before the judgment seat of Christ, what in the world does that mean? Now, the place where you find that is in the city of Corinth, okay, There's, there was a Bema seat, that's what it's called, a Bema seat in the Greek text. And in Corinth, they had the Corinthian, the, it, it's called the Isthmian Games, much like the Olympic Games, except they did these every two years in Corinth. And part of the event was, at the end of each event, you would stand before the judge at the Bema seat, And it was at the Bema seat where the winner would be recognized and those that came in second and third and fourth place would also be recognized. And so when you think about those of us that know Christ standing before the judgment seat, the great news is we're not being judged for our sins. Amen? Because they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, right? We've passed from death unto life. So When we stand before Christ, if you're born again, been saved by the grace of Christ, when you meet Him on the other side and stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's not a matter of being judged for your sins. It's a matter of being judged for your stewardship. All of life is an act of stewardship. Every part of your life, you are responsible to the Lord Jesus for obedience. So when you come to the Gospel of Matthew 24, Jesus talks about the tribulation time, what's going to happen to Israel, when he, what's going to happen when he comes again. But then when he gets to Matthew chapter 25, he talks about the kingdom, about the kingdom. The kingdom is like, the kingdom is like. And he's talking about when you and I meet him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords on the other side. Stewards, being stewards. Now, when we think about being stewards, it's not just, you know, immediately you're going to think about money. But here in the text, you're going to find that it's more than just about money. It's about you. It's about your obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ in in all of life. I was reading uh, an interesting passage of Scripture, which to some degree really doesn't have a whole lot to do with stewardship, but I found it profound when I was reading this week in Acts. This is in the city of Ephesus when many of the believers, they were saved out of the occult. And so they were under conviction for having served the devil's kingdom. 
And it says in the book of Acts that, I mean, in the book of Acts chapter 19, that the Christians who had been saved out of the occult brought all their books of magic, okay? And uh, they, had a, they were going to have a book burning. Now, so what they did, the text says that they brought all these books of incantations and demonic worship and they gathered them all. And the Bible says that the value of those books were 50 pieces of silver. Anyway, make a long story short, I was reading a commentary and it says that in today's money, what they placed on the bonfire in our money today would be worth $6 million. Now, now again, what I want you to think about is, is what they were willing to do because of the lordship of Christ. Now, what we might be tempted to do and what I might be tempted to do is put it on Facebook yard sale, right? And sell it and make a little money and recoup some of your loss. But biblically speaking, these were demonic items. These were things of the world that God had saved them out of. So no cost was too high to sacrifice as an act of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And and when you and I think about being stewards to Christ, that's how we ought to look at all of life. No cost is too high for us to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. So your Bible's open here to Matthew chapter 25. And I had written down some questions I wanted to uh, ask you before I read, read a couple of verses. Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to pick up in a verse in chapter 24 and then we'll read a couple in verse 25 to save a little time. It says, here's a couple of things. It says, ask these questions. I wrote this down and put it in my Bible. It says, dare we, who are citizens of God's kingdom, who are disciples of Christ, who are new creations, who are the salt of the earth, how dare we prefer the carnal flesh and the easy broad way of living faithlessly, faithlessly on this earth. So we call ourselves kingdom citizens. We are disciples. We're new creations. We're the salt of the earth. Then why in the world, if we're those things, do we submit ourselves to the flesh and not to the spirit? Or we choose to go the broad way rather than the narrow way. Why do we take no serious or diligent care of our own sanctification? Why is killing sin not a serious goal in all of our lives? The Bible says we are to mortify the flesh. That we are to abandon and crucify the old man. We're to depart from that way of life and surrender our wills to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, That's part of being a steward. Another thing I wrote down, it says, does the good shepherd desire for his holy sheep and his unholy sheep to follow the same path? The Bible says, when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, he says, folks, it's all about obedience. You know, when we're talking about stewardship, whether it's about our finances, of our spiritual gifts, 
our sanctification. It's all about Christ. It's all about following Christ. But Jesus said in Matthew, in John 10, sorry, in John 10, when he's talking about being the good shepherd, he says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Let me say that again. He says, my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice, he says, and they follow me. And then he says, a stranger they will not follow because they know the difference between the voice of a stranger and the voice of the shepherd. Folks, I just want to probe your minds for a second. Maybe one of the reasons why you're not pursuing and I'm not pursuing Christ-likeness or I'm not the faithful steward that God has called me to be is maybe I'm not as familiar with the voice of the shepherd as I should be. It says the voice of strangers they will not follow because they know the voice of the shepherd. When we think about biblical stewardship, we're thinking about all of life. Look at your Bibles in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, I'm going to read just a couple of verses in 24 and then I'll drop down to chapter 25. But just, there. this is all about the kingdom, but verse 45, I'm in Matthew 24. 45 says, of course, he's talking about coming. His, for us, as we're expectation, by the way, uh, because we believe in a rapture, because the Bible teaches a rapture, and the word rapture appears over a dozen times in the Greek New Testament, and it talks about being snatched away, we believe in a literal rapture. And for 2,000 years, every believer that's been saved by the grace of Christ has, has had this same anticipation. As a matter of fact, it drives us or should drive us to more godliness because at any moment, on any day, for the last 2,000 years, every believer knew that Jesus could come and rapture the church. At any moment of any day, Christ could come back for His church and we would meet Him in the air. And then we would stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So that expectation, according to First and Second Thessalonians, drives us to holiness. So all believers, if you're reading Matthew 24, you realize you're expecting Him to come. The Master is going to come. And His servants, better translated, His slaves, should be ready. But Matthew 24, 45 says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant. Again, that, that word really is the word slave. We're owned by him. We serve him, but we are owned by him. Am I right? Are we owned by Christ? How do we know that? Because the Bible says that we've been bought. Am I right? We've been bought with a price. Paul argues that in 2 Corinthians 6, but also Paul mentions that in, in, in Acts 20. He purchases with his own blood, Acts 20, 26. So we've been bought by Christ. And, and the argument Paul makes to the Corinthians is, therefore, glorify God in your body, since we've been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. Who then is the faithful and wise slave when his master... 
has set over his household. So this steward, whoever this servant or steward would be, the master has set over him his household. I immediately think about us being a household of faith uh, in in Ephesians 2.19, the household of God, that, that this is kind of a picture for all of us as part of God's household. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household? Now what, what is that person supposed to do? What is that slave supposed to do? Do you remember what Jesus asked Peter to do when he was restoring Peter? We, we read about this a couple of weeks ago when he was restoring Peter in John's gospel at the end, John 20, 19, 20, and 21. And he says, Peter, lovest thou me? And Peter would say, yea, Lord, you know I love you. And then what would Jesus say to him? Feed my sheep or feed my lambs. Well, look what servants are supposed to do. He says, whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Now, obviously, you could look at this physically, and obviously, in the context, physically, you would be thinking of a, a slave who was over the household who would make sure food would be distributed to all those in the household. But let's think of it spiritually. All of us have a responsibility to feed the household of God. We all have a part. With the passage that, that uh, what's his name? Robbie. <laughs> well, Robbie read. I love that passage because he, he summarizes our spiritual gifts. And I say this all the time. And, and by the way, in January, we're doing a study on spiritual gifts. That's one of the things we're doing in the new year. But, he, but Peter just simply says there's two categories of gifts. There's the gift that serves and there's the gift that speaks. So he breaks down all spiritual gifts fall in these two categories. But it's for the edification of the body. You're in this household, not for you, but for everybody else and for the glory of Christ. You're part of God's household. For You're to help feed us. Your life is to feed the souls of those God has saved. Look at chapter 25, verse, verse 1. I, I want to read all of chapter 25, but I'm just going to pick a couple of verses this morning and, 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 and then we'll look at it again next Sunday morning. But we know he's talking about the kingdom because in chapter 25, verse 1, he, he says, uh, the kingdom, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now, again, this is, this is the coming of Christ. This is obviously, in my theology and your theology, hopefully, this is just a little reference to the rapture of the church, God coming to take the saints. The dead in Christ will rise first, and those of us who are alive and remain will be called up to meet the Lord in the air. But in the context, you have ten religious people Ten virgins, but only five are really saved. That's the whole picture is about five are going to be taken, five are going to be left, and it's all about the a marriage, celebrating a marriage. And, and the Bible says when those of us that are saved are raptured, we go to heaven, and one of the first things that happens is an event called the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
So, by the way, this reminds us that not everybody that's familiar with Jesus, not everybody who's in the church, not everybody who comes to Sunday school, not everybody who's been baptized is going to heaven. It's only those that have been transformed and have been filled with the presence of Christ. So this, the word oil there, the idea of the oil in the, in the lamps is the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we know that in chapter 25 we're talking about the kingdom. Now if you don't mind, I want you to go to verse 14. And I want to read part of this parable. And this is in the same context Christ is going to rapture the church, the dead. So we're going to meet him. And we're all going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So he's now talking about being a slave and being entrusted with talents. And so all of us that have been born again in the context that Jesus is speaking have been given at least one talent. I'm, I'm applying it. I mean, we can apply it to wealth and we can do that. We are responsible for all of the money. It's God's money. You know, some of the art. And again, I, I don't want to browbeat people, and I, I'm not being a legalist, but, but let's, for instance, some people, some people like to gamble. And, uh, you know, they'll say, well, it's my pastime, and I don't spend that much money. All that's fine. The problem you have with gambling, of course, it's easy for me to say this because I don't gamble. I, you know, I, I, it's not a temptation for me. Now, to be a glutton, there's a temptation for me. But, but gambling is not, is, not, is not a temptation. But for those of you who like to gamble, the problem is, you know, and you can, if you can afford it, whatever, you know, I only spend $100, only, whatever, you know. I'll confess to you that we went to Vegas years ago to the Southern Baptist Convention, and my wife gambled. <laughs> for me, she gambled. She did it for me. Because I can't gamble, right? I'm the preacher. But anyway, so the point would be. So, so here, here's the issue. If you gamble. And again, folks, I... I'm not being, I'm not a, it's, that's not saying any greater than sins I have, but I'm giving an example. You, you have a hard time arguing that with me because is all of it God's money or just what's left over? You can answer that. Whose money is it? It's all His. What's amazing is He asks us to make, do grace giving. We give graciously to the body. And then he lets us keep the rest, but we're supposed to use it for his kingdom. We don't use it like we want to. We have to be stewards not only of what we give to the kingdom, we have to be stewards of what's left over. So he says in chapter 25, verse 14, for the kingdom. So he doesn't have to repeat that. Some of your Bibles do repeat it. It's in italics for the kingdom of heaven. But, but it, it's not in the original text, but we know he's talking about the kingdom. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his slaves and entrusted to them his property. Folks, this is, this is about God's kingdom. The kingdom, now think about the kingdom of heaven. When did the kingdom of heaven begin for you? The kingdom of heaven began for you not the day you're going to go to heaven. The kingdom of heaven began for you the day you met Christ. You with me? That's when the kingdom, you know, now Christ hasn't come back to rule yet. 
But the Bible says all of us that have been saved, Christ rules in our hearts. So we talk about theologically, God's kingdom is already in us, but it's, it's not yet in its totality, right? So the kingdom of heaven is in you. You with me? You've met him, so the kingdom of heaven applies to you. But the ultimate picture that Jesus has been talking about is the kingdom of heaven on the other side. Because all of us are, are going to leave this world, which is, is, owned, is run by the prince of the power, that, is that kingdom of heaven, there's going to be something on the other side. Uh, so, so all of us that are saved are one day going to stand before Christ and be held accountable for our stewardship. Every one of us, whether you're talking about talents, money, or you're talking about your gifts and abilities, all of us, all of us are going to be held accountable. He's master. You don't think about that. How in the world do you think the master, the Lord, the curios, is not going to hold us accountable? And is there anything we're going to escape his presence? Is there any kind of thing I'm going to get away with? If I'm a bad steward of my, of my spiritual gifts, is there any possible way I can get away with that? Or if I... Or if I, if I waste his money, is, there, is it possible that God's not going to hold me accountable? It's not possible. He's master and he's going to hold us accountable. It says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another Two to another one. Two. Now look what he says, okay? We talked about this a couple of times recently. Says he gave five, he gave two, and he gave one. Are you looking at your Bibles? To each one according to his ability. We're going to cross-reference that in just a second. but So... Not everybody in here has the same financial wealth. This is God's sovereign. We believe in the sovereignty of God. Not everybody in here has the same financial wealth. Not everybody in here has the same spiritual maturity. Not everybody in here has the same spiritual gifts. We're different. And God in His sovereign plan has distributed to us in His own sovereign will. So... You're not responsible for me and I'm not responsible for you in the sense of my stewardship. And all of us, and, and as we flesh this out, it's just going to look different. Some of you have household incomes that are that could be twice the household income that I might have. But you're responsible for that income and I'm responsible for my income. If When you and I do the spiritual gift survey and we've done this two or three times in the last 25 years, you may find that you have three or four major spiritual gifts. Well, God intends for those gifts to be used for the building up of the body of Christ. Or some of you might take the spiritual gift test, and you have one major spiritual gift. But God still intends for you to use that one spiritual gift for the building up of the body of Christ. 
You may, have, you may have the greatest intellect in the church. You know, if we were to do an IQ test, maybe you would score the highest. Well, as the highest intellectual person in the church, you are responsible for you, for that, for that intellect, to be responsible to the master. Some of the others of us would not score very high. So, so each is so telling us that each one, to one he gave five, the others two, to each according to his ability. Then he went away, and then he talks about he had received the five talents, went at once, and he went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also the one who had two talents made two talents more. Then he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, that's a very key phrase. Now after a long time, just pay attention to what I read because there's a little theological issue here. Some people claim somebody's losing their salvation here, but I want you to see that's not true. If you didn't earn it, you can't lose it, right? If it's a gift, right? Gifted to you through the work of Christ. But let me read, read keep reading. It says now, it says, After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10. So he settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Uh, here I have, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. I will set you over much. Now, what are we talking about? The kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to be thinking about What's the next stage? Now, we're living. Christ is king in my heart. Christ is king in your heart. He's not ruling on this earth. When he's talking about now is he will be ruling. It will be the kingdom of heaven, heaven on earth. Christ will be ruling. Look what he said. What's going to happen to those of us that are faithful? I've preached this my whole life. You've heard me talk about this ad nauseum. I've talked about it many, many times. What you do in the kingdom that's coming... It's not arbitrary. I mean, I, I, I haven't had some special revelation, but I have read the Bible, and I know that the kingdom that's coming, our, our work there and our position there is not arbitrary. You know, He doesn't roll a bunch of dice and then just pick what we're going to do. Our, our work in the kingdom of heaven on the other side has everything to do with our faithfulness in this world. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. You delivered to me five talents here. I made five talents more. His master said to him, well, and it, it, well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Folks, it, think about what you want to hear when you stand before the Lord Jesus. Well done good and faithful servant look what he says you have been faithful over a little i will set you over much 
Enter into the joy of your master. Folks, this has everything to do with kingdom work. This has everything to do with biblical stewardship. Whether it's the stewardship of money, of talents, of time, whatever it is, this is about kingdom work. But the kingdom of God started the moment you came to know Christ. And one day you're going to give an account of everything that you've done in the body. Remember when uh, Paul's talking about this and uh, he says, we've laid a foundation. The apostles have laid a foundation. This is 1 Corinthians 3. And he says, now you, me and you, are going to build on that foundation. And he says, but take, take care. What? And he goes in, what materials? And I remember, uh, um, I don't know if it was uh, Marie or, or uh, who, Bill, you said leftovers. Okay, so... Um, giving God the leftovers. Well, in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, Paul says, we, the apostles, we believe in apostolic church, Paul and them laid the foundation, and now you, we build on it. And he says, some will build with wood, hay, and stubble. That's the leftovers. And then others will build with gold, silver, and precious stones. And then he says that all of it's going to be tried by fire, by the by the righteousness of Christ. We see that in the book of Revelation 1. His eyes were as a flame of fire. So his, his observation just pierces all of us. I mean, we, uh, Hebrews says we're naked before him. He's, so we can't hide anything. So what are we building with? And folks, let's just be honest. If Christ is Lord, and, he's, and he is... If he's Lord and Master, our obedience to him is not about a tick in the clock, as Bill and Marie meant. It's he is ever he is Colossians three. When Christ, who is your life, appears, he's everything. He's Lord. He's Master. Can you imagine in a in in just in a scenario? in this world or in, in early America, a slave telling a master they're not going to do what the master says. But yet we do that kind of stuff all the time. We refuse to obey the master. Well, I had to turn my page. But look at verse uh, chapter 25. Look at verse... Uh, this is the second one. Uh, he says, uh, verse 22... Uh, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, that's the two talent man. So he have five talents, more resources, more wealth, more wisdom, publicly more fruit. Well done. But then the guy with two brings two more. And he tells him the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Folks, you know, everything, you know, when you think about uh, Matthew 6, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth 
and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Folks, we are guaranteed that anything we sow to the flesh, anything we sow to this world is going to be lost. Every bit of it, 100%. Then Jesus says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and where thieves can't break in and steal. The study, the treasure principle, which we'll do again soon, that study years ago, you know, he talked about most of us get called up, you know, he, he takes a dot and then he makes a line. Most of us get stuck looking at the dot rather than the arrow that goes to the future. That's where we need to be working for. We don't need to live for the dot. We need to live for the arrow that's pointed to the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom we need to be working for. Take your Bibles. I've got uh, about 30 more minutes. I want, hey, go, go, I'm just kidding. Go to Ephesians. Go, go by, by the way, I gave you 25 minutes on Wednesday. You do remember that. Go, go to Ephesians. Let me just show you this. This is really interesting. Go to Ephesians chapter uh, 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And this, this helps us get... Uh, an application of what Jesus is talking about to the church, to me and you, where we are. Ephesians, uh, that's, that's in the New Testament, Ephesians 3, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go to, uh, by the way, the household of faith. Look at, uh, since we're here, look at uh, Ephesians 2. Um, Look at verse, uh, chapter 2, verse uh, 19. Chapter 2, verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So folks, all of us have a, as, as saved individuals in the body, we all, in our own way, have a feeding responsibility. We all help distribute spiritual food to one another. That's, and Paul argues that by talking about these one another's all through the New Testament. But I want you to look at chapter 3. and Look at verse... Uh, chapter, look at chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Uh, well, I tell you what, go, forget that. Go up to verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. For this gospel I was made a minister. Look what he says. I was made a minister. You know, God didn't, Paul didn't personally sit down and take his day planner and say, uh, on this day, I'm going to decide to be a minister of Christ, a, a, an apostle. No, he was made one by the sovereign hand of God. God made you a new creation. He owns you. He's making you, you as a believer. He has a will for your life. You could even say a perfect will. He has this plan for you. Paul says, of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. All of us have been grace gifted. 
When you got saved, not only did the grace of God save you from your sins, and we'll read this exact, he, he gifted you. So again, all of us in here can be either a one talent, a two talent, a five talent, a ten talent. We all have been graced. God gave us gifts when he saved us. So Paul's reminding us that he didn't choose. God chose him. God gifted him. He gave the gifts. He gave you salvation. Now you're his steward. And he's going to hold you accountable for your obedience. According to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. So Christ has worked in all of us. He he transformed us, but he also gifted us. To me, though I am very least of all the saints... Look what he says. Look at your Bibles. This grace was given. Okay, So, Paul was a great preacher, a great theologian. Was that because he was a great man? No. How, why was he a great theologian? How, how did that happen? Because of God's gift of grace. So wherever, listen, even for those of you who might be maturing in your faith, who may have multiple spiritual gifts and and produce fruits, and it's obvious to the church family that you're gifted and you're producing fruit, can you brag about those gifts? No. Who, how did you get the gifts? God, in His grace, gave them to you. They're His. He is going to hold you accountable and me accountable for what he's placed in our hearts and lives. It's his gifts. He's distributed them by grace. Look what he says. Paul says, he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul there is talking about even he is an apostle. One, an apostle, he says, is born out of due time. That it was God's grace. Look at verse 10. So that through the church. But where. Where are you. I know I'm out of time. I just realized I'm way past time. Where where are these gifts going to show up? Are you going to. Are these going to show up at Walmart? Is this where you're going to use them. Working for the. um, March of Dimes or the Red Cross? Is that where they're going to... Where are your gifts going to show up? You can answer it. Where? The church. Folks, all of our gifts, all of our... You read it all you want to. It all revolves around the church. There's no isolation. There's no solo work in the... It's all about the household of faith, the body of Christ, the building of God. Whatever whatever metaphor you want to use, it's all about the body of Christ. This is where you demonstrate your faithfulness with your gifts. This is where you do it. I knocked my clock over up here, but... Well, it means I have to finish. Well, listen, let, let me read... One more passage, okay? You trust me, right? Go to chapter 4. I'm in Ephesians, okay? He, Paul does the same thing in Ephesians 4. The, he, he's making a, 
um, he's he's given even a better explanation of how it happened. Okay, now this important theologically because either what I'm saying is true or it's not true. Folks, either you're here today and you're you're pursuing being a faithful steward, or you're not. And if you're not, then the Spirit of God who indwells you is should convict you. You you should have this in all of us who think we're being stewards and trying to be a faith. We're never we're never there, so we're always repenting and pursuing more sanctification. So we we've never arrived. We won't arrive until we see Jesus face to face. Look what he says about this whole thing. Look, uh, look at verse uh, verse five. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure. I love that that word meter, metron. Christ and the Father. The Spirit and the Son, the Trinity, measured it out. They just, God's sovereign will, when you got saved, along with your salvation, He measured out grace for you, your gifts, your, your, how you were going to be used in the body. To each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, He's going to tell us when that happened and how it happened. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, he's just using a little Roman army stuff. When you conquered, y'all know the story. If you conquered a, a people group, a nation, Rome, they would take all the spoils of the, of the battle and that it would distribute all the spoils among the group that did the fighting. So you would win a battle, and you would get some gifts. Christ won the battle, ascended to the Father, and He gives gifts to everybody He saves. Isn't that awesome? He distributes gifts because we're overcoming the world. We have to overcome the world. Our faith has to So He has to give us gifts in order to do that. And saying, he says, and saying he ascended, what does it mean that he, that he uh, had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? If you remember, he went down and preached freedom to the demons or fallen angels that were being held in captivity. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, the kingdom of heaven. You with me? Who's ruling the kingdom of heaven? Who? Christ. Who should be ruling your hearts right now? Christ. The kingdom of heaven is already, but it's not yet. Folks, it's the not yet we're living for. You with me? We're all going to appear. It says, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, how is he going to fill those things? And we'll finish. He And he gave the apostles. Remember, it started with the apostles. The prophets, we see some prophets in the book of Acts. The evangelist, Philip was an evangelist. The shepherd teachers, that's preachers, that's me. And look what happens. How's it going to work? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, 
for the building up of the body of Christ. Okay? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, folks, that will not end. This pursuit of the measure of Christ's likeness will not end until we see Him. Because He has ordained that we will be conformed to the image of His Son. But that won't happen until we see Him face to face. So until that day, I keep... You know, that's why repenting is always in present tense. I keep repenting and pursuing. Repenting and pursuing. You know why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen? Let's stand for prayer. Thank you for your presence this morning. God is good. Let's pray. Father, I pray that that all of us, starting with me, that we will take serious stewardship, being kingdom stewards, being faithful stewards to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, use us. Use each of us for the building up of the body of Christ at Redland Baptist Church. As we leave this place, bless us as we go out as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon.